I'll be your guest reader this morning. The Gospel of Mark. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee announcing God's good news, saying, now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust the good news. As Jesus passed alongside the Galilee Sea, he saw two brothers, Simon and Andrew, throwing fishing nets into the sea, for they were fishers. He said, come, follow me. He said, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Right away, they left their nets and followed him. After going a little farther, he saw James and John, Zebedee's sons, in their boat, repairing their fish nets. That very moment he called to them, they followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the other hired workers. Here ends our scripture. Oh, this is great. Good morning. It is wonderful to be here with you all today. First, I want to express my gratitude to your pastor, Reverend Dr. Monica Corsaro, and to your board for inviting me down here to join with you all in learning and worshiping together. It's a joy to be here with you and an honor to bring a word this morning as part of our time together. I also want to bring you the greetings of your Evergreen Association of American Baptist Churches family from your 64 sibling churches in the region, and my co-laborers on the region staff, Reverend Doug Avilas-Bernal, our regional executive minister, Reverend Sam Kim, our associate executive minister of innovation and design, and Reverend Siobhan Walker, our ministry associate for social media. My role is as associate executive minister of operations and administration, and uh, together we are building out a, a team that will help churches both do the, this boring stuff, the stuff that needs to get done behind the scenes in order to make it so that you guys can do the good ministry and good work out there in the world and together in here as community. We at Evergreen are grateful for Fairview Community Church and that you are part of our family, part of the rich tapestry of diversity, kinship, and striving to live out the gospel that we are all part of together. If you would join me in a moment of prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As a kid, I was sold a particular bill of goods about going fishing. The first was that rising before dawn, tramping through the wilderness, and getting on a boat out in a lake was somehow inherently virtuous, and more so if I lured, tortured, captured, and eventually killed another living creature. And don't get me wrong, I understand the value of quiet, of seeing the sun slowly rise over the horizon, transforming a deep blue with shadowed dark clouds into a sky filled with astonishing purples, reds, pinks, yellows, and eventually the bright 
blue sky of day. There is something awesome in experiencing that. And I have yet uh, to not be fully impressed by a sunrise that I was really able to pay attention to. And I understand the value of working yourself to get the food that you will then consume. And I do, look, I do like fish as a food, generally speaking. But the very idea of putting up a gone fishing sign and then heading out with worms and a pole to go catch a fish was so romanticized in the books and in the culture. Uh, and I tried it many, many times before realizing it really wasn't for me. Maybe my mom and my brother, who were my to uh, two most common fishing uh, companions, actually just wanted to spend some quiet time in my presence. As you may have guessed by now, I'm pretty comfortable with the sound of my own voice. And as a kid, I was positively enamored of it. Then especially, but even now, I struggle with silence. I long to fill it. And words are this convenient tool I have perpetually at my disposal. But talking disturbs the fish, or so I was frequently reminded when I was fishing. Indeed, it was implied to me that fishing was meant to be a transcendental experience whereby you somehow draw closer to God. My mom reminded me that Jesus' first disciples were fishermen, and though she didn't say it, I inferred that learning to fish would somehow make me a better follower of Jesus. I don't know if it ever actually did that, but I did learn to appreciate the creation and those who put in the hard work of catching fish for me. <laughs> in my teens, as I figured out how to welcome quiet better and could focus on nature around me, I realized I could have that same experience without having to carry a pole, skewer a worm on a hook, and feed it to another living creature that I myself then intended to kill and eat. So I left that kind of fishing behind. Give me the quiet. Give me a sunrise that transforms night into day. Give me a cool breeze rippling across the surface of the lake. And keep your pole and your worms and your fish. Mark was likely the first gospel written, sometime between 60 and 75, um, around 35 to 45 years after Jesus' execution and resurrection. The gospel attributed to Mark is an important basis of both the gospels attributed to Matthew and Luke, respectively. Collectively, the three gospels are often called the synoptic or seen-together gospels because their stories follow the same overall flow with minor variations and reorderings of events. Around 95% of Mark's gospel can be found in Matthew and in Luke. One of the key ways that the gospel according to Mark differs from the gospels according to Matthew and Luke, however, is that there is no story of the birth of Jesus in Mark's gospel. It pays no real attention to his ancestry. Instead, the things that make Jesus Jesus are not a miraculous birth, but are the various actions, values, and people that he loves over the course of the year or three of his ministry. And I say year or three because it's actually kind of hard to tell how long Jesus' ministry was in the Synoptic Gospels. Indeed, the Gospel attributed to Mark has a conspicuous urgency which Matthew and Luke lack. 
It's most clearly shown in the Greek word euthis, which is most often translated as immediately or as soon as. The word is used 87 times in the New Testament as a whole, and over half of those are in Mark's gospel, and 12 of them are in the first chapter of Mark's gospel alone. Mark's gospel rushes along at a breakneck pace from the beginning of John the Baptist's proclamation of a baptism for the repentance of sins right up to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Mark's gospel is also not afraid to foreshadow the story of Jesus and what happens to John the Baptist. Our reading today tells us that after John is arrested, Jesus begins his ministry. And the Greek word for John's arrest is the same one used later by Mark for betrayed or handed over to the authorities, the description of what happens to Jesus. And that Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming, again, the same as John the Baptist was proclaiming, and proclaims the heavenly realm in the here and now, urging people to repent and to believe in the good news. A similar message shared in the same way a foreshadowing of Jesus' own fate in the handing over of John to the authorities. It's no wonder that when Jesus asked the disciples later, who do the people say that I am, many are thinking that he is John the Baptist returned. Galilee is not a large region, and one of its most prominent features is a large lake called Knesseret or Chinnereth, which is a Hebrew word meaning harp as the outline of the lake does kind of look like a harp. In scripture, it's most often called the Sea of Galilee, um, but it is really a freshwater lake, and in fact is the lowest freshwater lake in the world at about 700 feet below sea level. The lake was absolutely critical to the region, and fishing was its key industry. Owning a fishing boat was both hard work and a fairly solid middle-class existence. So Simon, later called Peter, and Andrew are in their boat, and this itinerant preacher comes by. Not an entirely uncommon sight in those times. And as Jesus sees them, he calls on them to join him, telling them that they are fisher people, and if they follow, he will make them fishers of people. This is one of those rare times where a play on words in the Bible is better in English than it is in the Greek. Because in Greek, you actually have to add the word people, um, and the play on words is then inferred. But Simon, Peter, and Andrew are effectively partners in their family-owned small business, where they are the entire staff. And immediately, there's that word again, they leave their boat and follow. Then a little further on, Jesus sees Zebedee, also the owner of a family-run business, but one with many boats and a staff that includes both of his sons, James and John, and several others besides. And immediately, Jesus calls to James and John, and they leave off tending their nets, and they follow him. I want to stress at this point that we're still in the first chapter of Mark, and Jesus hasn't really done anything in his ministry yet. His ministry is so new that really all he's done is wander back into Galilee after spending a really long time in the desert. Mark tells us that he's in the desert for 40 days, but Mark is using a Hebrew context. 
And in that context, 40 is one of those numbers that they use when they just don't really know how long something was. So 40 years, the Israelites wandered in the desert. The Israelites wandered in the desert for a really long time. So long, they lost track of it. And Jesus was out in the desert for 40 days. Well, Jesus was out in the desert for long enough that between not eating enough and not drinking enough, he lost track of how long he was out there. For the writer of Mark, that was an important part of bringing the Hebrew tradition forward into the new Christian communities. James and John and uh, P Simon, Peter, and Andrew, they have comfortable lives. Maybe not exactly what they dreamed of, but in that time, you tended to do what your father did, going into the same business, living in the same house, inheriting not just property, but your career also. And Jesus himself, though Mark doesn't actually include any of this, was the son of a tecton, a carpenter, or really a builder, and probably had spent the years before his baptism building houses and other edifices in the growing city of Caesarea Maritima, a port city about 30 miles from Nazareth. Without a doubt, Jesus, as a laborer, was most likely hired onto various projects around the city on a case-by-case -case basis and would be considered socially a rung below these fishermen. Yet when he calls them, they immediately follow, leaving family, work, and everything that had been their identity behind them. And all that, at least according to the text, before even knowing what Jesus is or what he is about. After our reading today, Mark's gospel begins to share what Jesus is really about, proclaiming the good news of God's love for all people in the synagogues, healing the sick, comforting the afflicted. They come to see Jesus live out the restoration of exiles into community, removing disease and even restoring the dead to life. They come over time to see that the one that they followed on faith was, in fact, worthy to follow. Their own lives are transformed, and they become more than just the inheritors of their father's property and careers, but instead become disciples of the one who tells us to feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, heal the sick, visit the prisoner, welcome the stranger, and stand alongside the oppressed. Their faith, it turns out, was justified. But what amazing faith it must have taken to leave their boats and follow this wandering preacher at the expense of everything that had come before. Well, my friends here at Fairview, you are in your 75th year of ministry as a church that is, an, that is amazing, a blessing indeed. And the faithful lives of many saints have been poured into this congregation, into these walls, into your connections to each other and to your community. Some of those saints have gone on from this life and others are right here in the room with us. And everyone here has a comparatively comfortable life. I don't mean that we don't have challenges, of course we do. But for the most part, we know where our next meal is coming from. 
We know what the next few days for us look like, and more likely than not, we have some kind of safety net if the rug was pulled out from under us. We sit on the coast of the wealthiest and most powerful nation to have ever existed, perhaps unaware of the fact that our ability to just flick a tap and have safe, drinkable water come out of it makes us better off than 99% of people in human history. We are, just as Simon Peter and Andrew, just as James and John, comfortable and safe. We can just keep doing what we have been doing, and we're able to see where that leads. And maybe we can. Maybe we should. It's the path of least resistance, after all. But the gospel, the thing that got those men long ago out of their boats and on the road behind a homeless, wandering Jewish teacher and preacher, is not the path of least resistance. Nor does it honor the time and energy, the faith and hopes of those saints who built this congregation. You have already shown that you have a heart which welcomes in the stranger and seeks for justice. You have heard that call of the gospel, the hope of a world where it is on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus calls the disciple, call to the disciples and the people then is still true now, that the heavenly realm in the here and now is at hand. It's as close as our fingertips. It's already there and not quite manifested. It's waiting for us to step forward in faith and live into it. But I have to warn you, it's not going to be easy to live out. It's not going to be the path of least resistance. It will mean discomfort and challenge. Your deeply held convictions, your assumptions about the world will be upended if you really draw close and build community with those Jesus strove to welcome, protect, and nurture. The foreigner, the outcast, those condemned by the powerful to live on the margins. Jesus is calling for us to take that next step. And like he's told Simon, Peter, and Andrew, the skills of their trade make them uniquely able to follow his call. And so know that your own path, your own background, the skills that you already have make you uniquely able to follow the call that Jesus has for you, individually and as a collective beloved community known as Fairview Community Church. Together, living into the good news of God's love for all people will make this world a different and better place. The next steps may be uncomfortable. They may be challenging and they may require growth. They will definitely require hope and vision and love for one another and for the strangers beyond your doors. The best we can ask for is that when someone tells the story of this next part of Fairview's history is that they share that you strove to do something new, something based in love and in hope, and that you left comfort and surety behind in favor of the new thing that God is doing. But no, you're not doing it alone. You as a community have called Pastor Monica 
to be here to walk with you in this process. You as a community are part of the larger Evergreen family where your sibling churches and the Evergreen staff are here to support you as you develop new ministries, as you live out your call to be the people of God in the world. And so instead of doing the same old church with predictable results and the predictable path, I'm going to encourage you to leave a sign on the door that says, gone fishing, find us among the people. Take those next steps, scary though they might be, with faith in your heart and together as communities serving the least, the last, and the lost. By sharing God's love, and you'll find Jesus out there and in here. Every time. Amen.